since on Wednesdays we're downstairs and we don't have to have the microphones. Let's pray here. We thank you, Lord, for being in our lives to be more than just some influence or just something we know about, but being a person who guides and directs and leads us, Lord, in your ways. We just thank you that you're presence has been made known unto us and that we have actually come unto you and been saved, that we've met you and that we continue to grow in that knowledge and being filled with your grace, Lord. We ask that you would open your word up to us this morning. Speak to us. Speak to us as your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's open up to John chapter 6. This is a story most of us have heard about, but, you know, if, if you're around long enough, you've heard most of the stories in the Bible. But be open to hearing something more than what you normally would associate with it. You know, when we read these things, they're not just dead words. They're not just stories that we read about that happened so long ago. Amen. They're things that are meant to bring life into our life. They're the Word of God that's living and active, and it's supposed to be working to separate our soul and spirit, to make it so that the thoughts and intents of our heart are made known. Mm -hmm. And so, if that's not happening, we're not reading it the right way. We're not asking God to actually speak to us when we read it. We're just reading words in a book. Mm -hmm. Might just as well read Tale of Two Cities or something else, you know, just as much life in that if we read the Word of God that way. Now, here, starting with verse 1, it says, Now, after these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Then the great multitude followed him, because they saw his, the sign, his signs which he performed on those who were diseased. And Jesus went up on the mountain and sat there with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was near. And Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said to test him for he himself knew what he would do. And Philip answered, Two hundred denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, but that every one of them may have a little. One of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? Then Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about five thousand. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples, and the disciples to those sitting down, and likewise of the fish, as much as they wanted. So that when they were filled, he said to his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, so that nothing is lost. Therefore they gathered them up, and filled the twelve baskets with fragments of the bar five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. Then those men, who, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, Truly, the prophet who is to come into the world. So, notice what Jesus did here in the beginning here in verses 5 and 6. Jesus pointed out to Philip a problem, mm -hmm. didn't he? He said, what shall we, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? You know, maybe something that P Philip hadn't considered up until this point, but it was something that Philip, well, he asked pointedly to one person, said, what are we going to do here, Philip? And he did this, why? To test. to test him. You know, probably each of the twelve had their duties that they had. When Jesus was ministering, especially when there was multitudes around Jesus, we know that Judas was in charge of the money bag. 
of which he stole out of it, but at least we know he had that job. And it seems to be that there are certain people that he usually would turn to when certain things were going on, and in this case, Philip. Now, in this, Jesus gave Philip a chance to see more than whatever his assignment was, to actually look at the situation and to be ready for the need. And, you know, what was Philip's response? We don't have enough money. In fact, he says there's 200 denarii. I don't know if the Old King James uses that term, but what? Penny worth? But basically, it was about two-thirds of a year's wage. Like if you made 30000 in a year, he was saying $20,000 wouldn't be enough in this situation. Basically, you know, that's basically what he's saying. And, and so, you know, he was putting him to the situation, showing Philip what the situation was, and Philip looked at it and said, we don't have enough. Then Andrew, who must have been nearby, must have overheard the conversation. You ever done that? You hear somebody else talking and you jump in? Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. But just realize that when you jump in, you get drawn into the same test. Yeah. You know, Jesus is great. You know, he doesn't mind if we jump into something if we're willing to actually have our faith tested too. Just don't, don't get your back up if somebody all of a sudden challenges you when you jump in. Yeah. You know, sometimes you're told it's none of your business. Get out. And you've got to be fine with that. But there's other times that it's an opportunity to really step forth in faith. And here, Andrew steps forward and he says, well, there's, a li- there's this little boy here, and his mama gave him a good lunch. You know, she probably packed him what seemed like it was more than enough. Five loaves of bread and two fish. That, would, that should be able to supply any young lad, you know, for a long time, you know, for a whole day's worth of meal. And it probably seemed like he was, she was actually giving him more so that he could actually share with somebody. And so he was willing to share it, must have brought it up, must have pointed out to Andrew that he had this. Maybe he overheard the conversation too. You don't know. But, you know, it's, it's, it's curious, you know, but Andrew at least brings it up. But that's not nearly 200 denarii worth of food, is it? But, you know, a lot of times what we see is more than enough all of a sudden, when we see the real needs, it's nothing. It's almost like nothing to our eyes. We can look at those things and actually say, this is nothing compared to what the real need is out there. As long as we're just looking at what I need today, you might think you have enough. That boy, starting out from wherever he was coming from, from his family, he thought he had plenty of food to eat. But as soon as he got into the situation where there was 5,000 people around him, you know, that wasn't the case, was it? Sudden, you know, and each one of these people are all of a sudden seeing that this is a situation where there's a real need beyond what their eyes would have normally seen. And, you know, it's really, you know, the key here is that even when what we have, it appears tiny, it's, it's something that we should be willing to offer up. Because this boy provided the means by which Jesus was able to multiply it. Now, could have Jesus just produced bread from stones that were there? Most likely he could. We know that he wasn't limited by that. But he took what this boy provided. That little bit was enough to be able to be, Jesus was able to do what with? Yeah, in, in, in actually thanking his father for it, his father took and multiplied it so that it was not just enough to feed 5,000. They had lots more left over than they even started with. You know, God doesn't just supply meagerly to where you just, you know, I'm barely getting by. 
He's actually providing, and Jesus wanted to make sure they just didn't waste what was the leftover either. He told them to make sure they picked it up. You know, really, what did, what did the boy j- just done? He freely gave what he had. Even if it wasn't enough, he freely gave it. And a lot of times, what, when we look at what we've got in our lives, it may seem small. But that's not the point. The point is, are you willing to freely give it? Are you willing to give up what will satisfy you? This boy had more than enough to, have be, to be full all day long on. But was he willing to give it up? Yes, he was. Then if we go down here later on, once this, this happens, you notice they were all wowed by it. You know, they all of a sudden said, oh, this must be the prophet that's to come. Jesus realizes they're going to make him a king if we, read, if we were to read all the stuff in between here. <coughs> he actually gets away from them, goes to the other side of the lake. Walk, actually, the disciples get in a boat and go across the lake. Jesus walks across the lake. And then they go looking for him, and they finally find him on the other side of the lake. And you skip down to verse 25. <coughs> it says, And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. (coughs) Which basically is another way of saying it. You're not interested in anything except having your needs met. You know, you want to be taken care of. That's why you're coming after me. Really, you know, it's... It's not, you know, it would, have been, it would have been great if they were really wowed by the miracle to be amazed and actually glorify God. But instead, they were looking for him to give some more bread, to actually meet their needs again. And their eyes were focused on themselves instead of on the Lord. And that's really, really a lot of times what we end up doing. We start looking at what God's done for us as opposed to looking at the Lord. And a lot of times, if, if, we, if we focus our eyes that way, all of a sudden, it, serving the Lord becomes all about Him being the big blessing factory. The one who just pours out and meets my needs, and of course, if I'm good, I'll be blessed. And if I've been bad, of course, it might not be so blessing. It might actually be some cursing in my life. And, you know, that's a lot of times, a lot of times we, we look at things the wrong way. We're just as self-centered as these people were. You know, Jesus' response is that there's only, you know, that really you need to be seeking me because of the signs at the very least. Be wowed by what I'm doing and don't be looking at what I'm going to do for you. Glorify God that he's actually able to amaze you. Mm -hmm. Now, did Jesus tell them how to do it? Actually, he goes on and says, do not labor for the loaves which are, uh, labor for the food which is perished, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because the God the Father has sent his seal on him. And they said to them, What shall we do, that we may do the works of God? You know, if Jesus wasn't going to do it, then they wanted to be taught how to do it. You know, tell me the principles. Show me the way to actually walk this out without you then. A lot of times, you know, principles are meant to help us to understand him as a person. Not so that we can just go off and do things so that we'll be blessed. A lot of times we as Christians get mixed up on that. We think that as long as I walk out the principles, the blessing of God will reign upon my life. Well, that's a real self-centered attitude. And that's not God's heart. He'll walk with us that way if we want to walk as, as immature, little, selfish Christians. But that's not the heart that Jesus had. Amen. He laid aside everything to come here and poured out his life for us. 
That's the call that we have on our life. That same call. Not having it, God will take care of us because we're His children. And of course, He will just meet our every need. He will. But that's not to be the center and the focus of what we do. The central theme of all Scripture, the basis of all the foundations of God, really is not the principles that that we could keep and our lives will be blessed and we'll be cursed if we don't do it, and not by laws that if we keep them, we're going to be made righteous. It's all about the person, Jesus Christ. And that's what he's telling them there. Really, what should we do that we may work the works of God? Jesus' answer is, this is the work of God that you believe on him whom he sent. Believe on me. That's the work that he's asking for us to do. That we actually allow the things that we see God doing cause us to rise up in faith and believe on Jesus even more. If we're going after works, we're missing the whole point. If we're going after our needs to be met, we're missing the whole point. God will do that maybe at the beginning to draw us, to try to get us to come to the truth, but the truth is supposed to set us free from all that selfishness, from all of those things that are self-centered lives. And a lot of times, we stay there just looking at Jesus, he'll meet my needs. And if you come to him, he'll meet your needs too. Well, that's not the call of God. That's a bare, selfish kind of version of the gospel, which is fine to bring somebody in the door, but it doesn't get them anywhere past the door of walking in the Lord. You know, we're, we're called to get more than just saved. We're called to walk with this God whom we've, who we've been called by, who we've been delivered from sin, who has actually laid down his life for us, and we're called to now walk out his life in this life. And that means that we have to be putting aside our own selves and our own lives and not walk in a selfish way. You know, we can walk as Christians and still have our be self-centered. A lot of us have done it. You know, if I, if I was to say, who's, who's had it to where God had to wake us up and actually show us how self-centered we've been? Most of us, I imagine, God has done that over and over and over again. And so it's not something new that I'm talking about. You know, we can, we, can, we can get to the place where we're just doing the godly principles because we want God to bless us. And He generally will be faithful to do and have some blessing in our lives. But He wants more than that of us. He wants us to walk with Him and to actually get to know His heart and to walk in His ways and to be able to be a shining example of His life in this world. And that's more than about me being prosperous. It's more than about whether or not I'm happy today. It's more than whether or not he healed me of something as opposed to me having to walk through it and show his glory and his honor no matter if he heals me or not. You know, he's into healing. He's into blessing us. He's into doing an abundance towards us. But that's not the whole point of him in our life. His point in our life is far more than that. And he wants us to walk with him and actually have a relationship with him. And, you know, and I was finally got around to listening to that one CD that's been passed around of Jim Durkin's statements. And it seems to just jump from thing to thing to thing to thing to thing on that because it's like little like quotes from different sermons that he had. But I also realized that, you know, that there were some key things that a lot of times we end up forgetting because we're under assault from the world and by the devil all the time trying to chip away at what we actually where we stand and to move us off the truth off the solid solid foundation of the truth and a lot of times we end up wavering in a lot of things and it takes being reminded 
of some of those real basic truths. We talked some, some on Wednesday about some basic foundational stuff. And I wanted to go, go over some more things on this. Because we've got to realize that if it weren't for the person of Jesus Christ, not just principles and all these other things, there would be, and the work, actually the person of Jesus Christ and the work that he actually did upon the cross, there would be no answered prayer by God. There would be no forgiveness of sins whatsoever. There would be no hope for our future, and there would be no peace for what has gone on in the past, and there would be no joy in the present because of who He is. Not just because of what He teaches us about Himself, the ways that He shows us how to live. It's because of Him Himself as a person in our lives. And, you know, even though we're constantly under the assault by the world, attacking the things that we stand for, we have a very real and living God who stands with us and makes us able to walk in this world. That's why he's, he didn't take us out of this world. He's, he wanted us to remain here, but not be of it. And he makes us able to because of who he is, not because of who, who we are. You know, a lot of times some of these basic truths, the one that we talked about on Wednesday, really, that in me and in, in my flesh dwells no good thing. You know, that whatever has its source in my flesh is of no value to God. And ultimately, long-term, is of no value to men either. No value in any one of your lives. What I can bring forth from my flesh. You know, what things that we actually can actually do just of ourselves without having dependent upon the Lord really don't help one another. And that's why people getting together in social programs out in the world doesn't work the same way as the church does. Because it's not being directed and guided by Him who is the source of life. You know, that's why churches that get into the social gospel, they end up being emptied of people being there. You'd think meeting the needs of the poor and needy around you would bring in droves of people into the church. And yet most churches that give, give over to that and miss out on the person of Jesus Christ, they end up having empty pews. They end up having nobody there. And they end up dying off. You know, and then the next one is that only what God inspires or directs and gives the strength to be done is of value. And it's the only thing that's really worth paying for with our life. You know, we're going to give our life towards something. Everybody has things that they lay down their life towards. You know, you look out there, the wealthy people that have accumulated billions of dollars out there, it's because they gave their life to doing that. But that's of no value in the kingdom of God. The things that God has called us to, those things that He's directed, those things that He inspires us to do, are the only things worth laying our life down. They're the pearl of great price. And that what, what God tells us is precious is what we have to give ourselves to doing. And then also the next one is a natural man's thoughts. My way of seeing things, your way of seeing things, are really whose thoughts? Satan's. You know, a lot of times we don't, we don't see that. But if we feel a certain way and we know that the view of the church is different, mm -hmm. that makes that way what? Satanic. We don't like to see things that clearly. We don't like to speak things that clearly because we like to keep our own opinions. And that's where, that's where it really cuts across the way that we like to think. And these things will cut across and actually reveal the thoughts and intents of our hearts if we really embrace the truth of them. Part of the reason why, part of the reason why we don't like to think that way 
is because we really like to keep our own ways and do our own thing, at least part of the time. And the other thing is we've been left here to serve God, not for Him to serve us. He will meet our needs as long as we're walking with Him. He does promise to meet our needs. But that's not what His whole point and purpose is. It's not for Him to serve me and my desires. It's for us to find out His desires, His will, and to walk those out. And if we get that backwards, which is so easy to do, we find that we find reasons to complain about God. And we find we find ourselves saying He doesn't provide when He's promised to provide. And we find that we all of a sudden start questioning all kinds of things. Think of how many times we might have read the Scripture, asking you shall receive, and you can think, I've asked and I've not received. That right there is a stronghold that's got to get cast down or else it becomes a point of bitterness before the Lord. Now, a lot of times we don't we're not that we're not we don't hold ourselves to actually looking at those things that clearly. And then if we give place in our thoughts and our speaking to saying about what about me? I need a break. I need some me time. How many of us have said that? Yeah. Almost all of us. But it really shows that I have a confused, disoriented life that I've got misplaced values. It really is saying that God has certain goals here, this list, and I've got goals here, this list. And they're not the same. They're two separate things. When all that what the Scripture tells us is that we're supposed to make our goals line up with His goals. And if I have a list of things that are not on God's list, there's a whole bunch to start checking off and casting out and kicking out. You know, we don't, we don't like to look that clearly because it really all of a sudden makes us say, do you really want what God wants or do you want to have your own life? Jesus very clearly said, if you're going to be my disciple, you're going to lay down your life. Now, you can be saved. This isn't talking about salvation, but you won't be a disciple. One who's disciplined in walking with his Lord and Master if you don't start lining up what you want with that list of what God wants. And that's a very you know, that's why Jesus said very clearly, you can't serve two masters. You're going to either hate the one or love the other, or love the one and hate the other. It's going to be one or the other. Eventually, you're going to end up hating God if you're going to love serving yourself. That's what it comes down to. And it's, it's a lie that we can have two sets of goals, one that's God set and one that's ours. They've got to be brought in line. And the next thing is, in every situation we have facing us, we have the choice whether or not we're going to show the love of God or we're going to walk in our own self. It's right there. The flesh should never leave us until the day we die. But we always have the choice. We're never forced to have to get offended. We're never forced to get angry in a sinful way at somebody. We're never forced to do something that is contrary to the will of God. It's something we've chosen to do because we have been set free from the bondage to sin. We're not bound to sin. Whenever we do sin, we've chosen to do so. And we have to take full responsibility for that and be accountable for that. No one makes me do something where I get 
I end up being in the flesh. I chose to go into the flesh when the situation presented itself. They didn't cause me to stumble. I stumbled because I chose to. It's before God whether or not they're held accountable for what they did to you. But each one of us is accountable for our own actions too. And then, if I don't choose God's way and I open a place up in me for the devil to do some work, it affects more than just me. It affects all of those who interact with me. You can't allow bitterness in yourself without it starting to defile those whom you're close with. You cannot allow an unthankful heart in your life without having it affect those who are around you. Now, they may rebuke you and speak clearly, sharply with you, which is a good thing, but it affects them nonetheless. They don't have to give place to your bitterness. But, they, but what we do is we place other people in a situation where they have to make a choice whether to stand up in the Lord or to allow you to remain in that place too. And that's where we each, we each have to see. We're not, none of us are separate, independent little islands. We are connected vitally in the Lord. And eventually, his word is very clear, eventually the word tells us that everything that the world and men depend on is going to fail. That's why, you know, looking out at the way the world's getting, count on it getting worse. The word's very clear that eventually it's all going to come tumbling down and men's hearts are going to fail them for fear. And what place are we going to be in when it happens? Are we going to be in a place where we are confident and hopeful in the Lord because we're not building on those foundations? Or are we going to be in the same fearful place and of no help to those who are trembling for fear because their whole life is crumbled around them? We're supposed to be the ones that are not dependent on what's going on in the world. But a lot of times when it starts to shake us, we get shaken. And we have to be, we have to be secure and solid in knowing who it is we're trusting and what we're leaning upon as opposed to really shaking right along with the world and those that don't know him. And the next one is one of those things that Jim reminded me of on this thing. God fully intends to rob us of our self-confidence. He doesn't want you to be self-confident. The world is so much into that, putting it up so much that you've got to be, but God fully intends to rob us of it. He's at work to undermine your self-confidence every moment of every day. Because what are we supposed to be confident in? Yes, we're supposed to be leaning on Him. We should thank Him that every time that He undermines our self-confidence, where we step out on our own and we fall flat on our face. The greatest blessing that He can, that he can give us is that we're not the source. He is. If somebody depends on us, we better be fully depending upon Him or else we're going to run dry. You know, we can, we can try and try and try to be so good and so helpful to people, but if we're not getting life from the source, we're going to run out. Yeah. Because you don't have it all, and I don't have it all. And we, the, the sooner we realize that, the sooner we stop trying to be little mini-gods, mini-providences, trying to stop what God is doing in people's lives, and we actually let Him do the work that He wants to go on. Because we don't have all the answers, but He does. And we don't, in ourselves, we desperately lack, but He freely gives us all things. You know, if you're going to look at, if you're going to look at ourselves, we're going to find lacks. 
Haven't you noticed that about yourself? You look inside yourself. Do you find that you have every answer? Do you find you have the strength to face every situation? If we look in ourselves, we find it just pretty an empty well. We might have a little bit of water there that's really hard to go down and get. It's sort of like, it's, it's, it's one of those things where a lot of times we don't like to look at things that way, but we should be clearly trusting in the Lord and proclaiming it. You know, pride, all our pride and independence is a, is a deceitful sham. It's trying to lead us away from trusting in Him. That's what we really need to see, is that we, we a lot of times have been believing a lie when we think we can take care of somebody else without His direction to do it. And then first, the next thing, place yourself within the church under someone else's authority. Make sure you're not just sitting here. Make sure you actually listen and ask for direction from someone else. You know, a lot of times when it's said that way, we get our back up because we're from a country that exalts freedom and liberty and I get to do what I want. But the scriptures are really clear. Who are you supposed to submit yourself to? It's, it's more clear and more down to home than that. It says submit yourself one to another in the fear of God. You're doing it because you are submitting to God. But he's, Paul writes very clearly, submit yourself one to another. That means to people. If you don't have all the answers and we're in this together, you might actually use somebody else to give you direction. So don't say, I don't know what to do. Probably the, the, real, the real statement is, I haven't asked for direction. I haven't asked because I thought I should be able to know what to do. Well, when we don't know what to do, we should be talking to one another. We should be asking what God has given you for me. And if it drives somebody else to have to go to seek the Lord to get the answer, all the better. We actually will be actually going to the source then together. But it's one of those things, a lot of times we get our back up when we think that we're, we should know what's going on. And the next thing is that we should be proclaiming a vision that's so big, so impossible, so consuming, so huge in its scope that it demands every bit of our life. That's what we should be proclaiming. A lot of times we proclaim far less than that. We should be proclaiming that God has called us to reach every person in this town, not just this town, but in this state and in this country and in this world. And we should know that it's our responsibility to do that. And we should be proclaiming it, not reducing it down. Yes, it's going to take whatever I do today in the things that I've got right in front of me. I don't necessarily have to go running all over the place to be able to answer that call. But the call should be made as huge as possible so that we know it's impossible to do it without His help. If it's something I can do without Him giving me the strength to do it, without Him, without having to have a lot more money than I have, a lot more strength than I have, and a lot more people than we have in this room, then it's too small of a vision that we're proclaiming. It's got to be big or else it's not God. And that will push us to get our eyes off ourselves and unto Him because we'll know that we can't do it. But that with Him we can. And make sure we hold out and boldly proclaim that vision so that the younger ones especially, that they can grab hold of it. That, you know, 
It's amazing how many times we look at the kids and see how selfish and self-centered they are. But the whole point is, is to give them a vision that pulls them away from that and grabs a hold of them and gives them something more and much greater to go after than just satisfying themselves. And that takes proclaiming that big vision. That takes being able to make it. Because when people grab hold of the vision, it changes and transforms them. Because our minds change from looking just at ourselves and actually looking into God who is the source of life. And when our mind is changed that way, it transforms us. Now, you know, and then the, la- the last one that I would say is that really it comes down to the whole thing that um, I think it's in Psalm 16. 116, it says, What will I render unto the Lord for all of his benefits towards me? And it says three things there. Anybody know what they are? I'll take the cup of salvation. I will call upon the name of the Lord. And I'll pay my vows now in the presence of his people. And those, are, those things are, are... Those things take... Uh, everything in us to do because really what the call that we have if it's big enough we know that our hearts aren't big enough to be able to embrace it it's going to take all the grace of God not just the part we've received so far it's going to take all the grace of God all of his almighty strength all of his wisdom all of his everything to be able to accomplish it and that's the whole intent and purpose of why it's such a big thing and that we're going to have to drink that entire cup not just what we've gotten so far. And that we're going to have to call upon His name because we'll know that within me is no good thing. And I'm not going to be able to meet the first need that comes in the door, much less the rest of the world's needs. And to even to be able to pay what we've committed to so far is an impossible thing. And we've only committed ourselves to a small portion of the vision up to this point. But you know... His call is greater than anything. But once we hear the call, once we proclaim that, and once we actually grab hold of it, anything less than that's not going to satisfy us. We're going to get bored. We're going to get antsy. We're going to say, what's the point of all of this when our vision starts getting smaller and smaller and smaller? That's why a lot of times we get dissatisfied with what's going on around us. is because we've been allowing our vision to become smaller and smaller, and yet we know that there's more. We know that there's a bigger thing that's there. We know that God intends more to be going on. But we haven't embraced His vision enough to be able... And we aren't leaning upon Him. We're, we're, we're able to do what we're doing right now. Shame. And tribulation... is the last one, Actually, the last thing. Tribulation is a good thing. Because it works... Tribulation works what into us? Patience and then experience... Experience works hope. It actually makes it to where we find out more of what God wants. We find out that, that He actually can keep us in horrible situations and we didn't die after all. That we didn't get destroyed after all. And so that eventually, in everything that we face, we've got hope. It's not going to be ashamed in the end because we are trusting fully in the one who has actually called us. And he leads us into tribulation. You know, there's, let's just turn to one other scripture, John chapter 4. Didn't have you read a lot of scripture today. 
John chapter 4, when Jesus meets the woman at the well in Samaria. And he strikes up a conversation with her while his disciples have gone to town for food. And here it says, starting in verse 7, A woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. And for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. And if you don't know it, the Samaritans were considered dogs by the Jews because they were like Jews in name only. Long ago, long time ago in, in Israel's history, all of northern Israel got carried away by the Assyrians and the Assyrian, they got conquered by the Assyrians and got carried away to other lands. And the Assyrians had a way of controlling the people that they ruled. They moved them out of their country and moved people from other countries into their place. And the Samaritans are the descendants of other countries' people being brought in. And when they were brought in, there were so many things that happened that were cursing them because of the fact that they weren't really Jews and they were living in the land and they were worshiping idols that the Assyrians actually went and got some of the old priests that were leading Israel at the time when they conquered them and brought them back to train them in being able to serve the Lord. And that way they wouldn't have the lions and the hornets and all these different things that were plaguing them, being attacking them. Well, the only thing is those priests that they brought back were the very ones that were leading Israel into idol worship in the first place. They got them sent away. And so here were these people that were claiming to be descendants of Jacob and Abraham and Isaac. And they weren't even related by one drop of blood. And they were proclaiming themselves to be Israelites just as much as the peoples in Judah were. Because the Jews in Judah, they got carried away, but at least some of them came back. Mm -hmm. These are all foreigners who had no knowledge whatsoever, and they were trained in a corrupted version of what was, it was to serve God. And that's why the Jews had nothing to do with the Samaritans. And so she's going, you're talking to me. You're a Jew, I can tell. And so he goes, and Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with. The well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? And that's usually the place we find ourselves in. Jesus offers, and he's promised a tremendous amount. His, his vision is so great, and he's talking just a little part of it here to this woman. And she looks at him and says, You don't have a bucket. This well is deep, and I know it's hard work for me to get water from it. And if you don't have a bucket, you're not even be able to do what I can do. How could you possibly give me what you're saying? And a lot of times that's the same place we find ourselves in. We know, we've, we've been trudging around, doing things with our own strength, and barely getting by and getting a little bit of water. When Jesus says, I have a fountain, a river of life that I want to have flowing through you, and I will give it to you if you ask, and we look and say, you don't even have a bucket. I know what it takes to have to do what I have to do in my life. And we, we say, if I can't see how it's going to be done, then I don't believe that you can do it. And we end up limiting God from what he really is promised to do. But Paul, Paul said in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he said, His grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. And I don't think Paul was just saying that I know that I'm saved by the grace of God. But he's really saying that 
I know that now that I've met Him and that the door, I've entered the door to life by His grace, I find that there's something greater produced within me. I don't understand it. I don't know where it comes from. But there's some response that rises up within me that when I hear the call, I say, here am I, send me, use me. The grace of God is more than just about what it does for me. It's about producing something in us that we don't understand. We may not be able to see how God is going to answer the vision, and it may seem silly to talk about a great big huge vision about reaching out. You know, but there are a lot of churches would thought it silly about the idea that we would even reach over clear over into Turkey and Vaughn, and yet we did it. And that's not the end of what God is wanting to do with us. And so we, if, if we're going to actually do anything more than what we've already done, we're going to have to continue to proclaim the vision of something greater than what we see right around us right now. And it's got to be that we see with the eyes of faith and we, we don't just look at saying, where's God's bucket to get that water? Don't be the, like the woman at the well there. Actually turn and actually know that I don't know how he's going to do it yet but I'm going to proclaim the truth of it nonetheless. And that's when we'll actually see things actually start to happen again. Is that response, is that call down there when we hear that, here am I, send me, use me. Because then we'll find out that I don't have it to be able to take the first step unless you are with me, O oh God. Amen? Amen. Amen? Lord Jesus, help us. Because we cannot do anything. You say that without us, without you, you, we can do nothing. Help us to know that as an absolute truth, Lord. That we cry out and we lean upon you and we call upon the name of the Lord and take that cup of salvation and find that, yes, we can walk out the vows that we have made to the congregation, Lord. That we can actually walk out this vision and purpose that you called us to, Lord. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.